Hello, I'm Bonnie Snowden, ex-corporate person and mother turned successful artist entrepreneur. It wasn't that long ago though that I lacked the confidence, vision and support network to focus on growing my dream business. Fast forward past many life curveballs, waves of self-doubt and so many lessons learned and you'll see Ignite, my thriving online coloured pencil artist community. A community that changes members' lives for the better and gives me freedom to live abundantly whilst doing what I love and spending quality time with my beloved family and dogs. All whilst creating my best artwork with coloured pencils and mentoring others to do the same. But this life wasn't always how it was for me. It used to only exist in my imagination. I've created the It's a Bonnie Old Life podcast to help increase people's confidence, share mine and my community's experience and hope through fascinating personal stories, champion the other amazing humans in my personal, professional and membership community and create another channel through which I can support others to realise their dreams. If you're a passionate coloured pencil artist or an aspiring one who's looking to create their best work and a joyful life you love, you're in the right place. Grab a cuppa and a custard cream. Let's get cracking. I met my next guest in 2016 when I first started creating animal portraits. Having a professional on side when you're starting an art business, honestly, it is such a blessing. We've stayed good friends and there's always a cup of tea and sometimes a biscuit when I visit, which is usually every week. And of course, who wouldn't want to visit somewhere with an office dog? And you'll hear a little more about the fabulous Ben during my next episode of It's a Bonnie Old Life. So without further ado, I'm delighted to introduce my fabulous framer, Ian Peacock. Well, <laughs> where do you want me to start? Hello. <laughs> oh do you know, it's so, it's so funny when you've known somebody for so long and then you sit across, like we're sitting across now. Where, so let's just describe where we are. Well, we're in my workshop, which is within a carpet business. <laughs> so I have, <laughs> I have a sectioned off part of the building and my outlook in terms of my desk looks onto a, an array of rugs yes. of, of various sizes, prices and quality. <laughs> and the funny thing is, so Ian has got this, he's just, just down here now, Ian's got this beautiful little lurchery type, is he lurch? He is a lurcher, yeah. yeah. Um, ben, who's absolutely gorgeous. And there's countless times when I've come in, Ben has been lying on this rug and he's been lying yeah. on that rug. Yeah, he's, he's their product research, really. <laughs> If it passes the Ben test, it's, it's, it's given it's a, a 10 way. out of 10 comfort rating. <laughs> so uh, that, that makes me laugh every time, every time I come in. <laughs> and actually, I think anywhere where there's a dog, anywhere where there's a business dog, I think. Well, there was a business in Harrogate called Morpheus, which, uh, as the name suggests, sold beds. And it had a Sharpe kind of big saggy thing of skin sitting in the window. And I swear, that dog got more business than anything else put together. Yeah. So everyone looked in the window, oh, look at the dog, oh. And then go in, pat the dog, and then say, oh, look, it's our beds. Yeah, <laughs> ting, you're in. <laughs> oh, He's a bit similar. So everybody, you know, people come in and, or ring me up and say, is Ben in? I go, yeah. And they'll say, oh, great, because I wasn't going to come in unless Ben was in. I go, oh, right, fair enough. <laughs> he's a lovely boy. <laughs> he is. And he's so good and nice and quiet as well. He is. Him. Yeah, he Bless doesn't him. yap or anything. No, no. So we've <clears throat> known each other for... Six um, years. Six years. Five, six years, yeah. Yeah. So I, when I first started doing my portraits, I think there's, there, are, there are two framers in Whippen. I don't mm-hmm. know whether they still are. There's you and 
somebody else. I don't know. I don't know why I chose you, but I, I, I popped in to see you. Probably Ben. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and then you've been sort of doing all of my framing, all of the, the mounting of all of the pieces and everything ever since then. Yeah. Yeah, we have. And it's been lovely. It's been a nice symbiotic relationship, I it think has. is the term. It has. Yeah. So, yeah. Because yeah. you, you did have a little shop just around the corner, actually, mm. that had all sorts of different bits and pieces and everything in it. And it was like an Aladdin's cave. Of stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah, because, well, I've been there for 30 years. So, you know, as you probably may guess from my appearance on the, uh, on the, on the, with the benefits of radio, <laughs> <laughs> that I started as a small child. <laughs> oh, but you do, you amass some stuff over those period of time. Is, yeah. You know, you, you, you sort of, mouldings and frames and and ideas and uh and you don't want to chuck them away because mm. it's some really nice bits of kit and i've still got them yeah you know. how did you start did you, have you always been in framing no um i was at uh you know you, you do your careers choice at school and there was basically two options for me because you were getting sort of peer pressure from above such as my dad my granddad's and all of that. So I come from a, a, a long line of um, either engineers or soldiers. And in some one case, both. It was my grandfather was in the Royal Engineers and the commandos in the in the Second World War. So yeah, that was the sort of options. You can be an engineer and or you can be a soldier. And I didn't fancy being a soldier. I mean, my dad was in the special forces, so he's a full on nutter. But I took <laughs> after my mother. My sister takes after my father, who is the equal nutter. Yeah, I take after my mum. It's a bit more creative. But it was never explored into those sort of fields that I would do, you know, creativity. It was always a case of, right, maths, physics, chemistry, those sort of subjects, which I did. And, and I passed. And so I went to work for uh, an engineering company in Derby, British Rail Engineering, I went to, which made trains. <laughs> and I, and I pretty... Pretty much knew within about a week or two that I made a catastrophic error oh. <laughs> and didn't want to be there. However, you're on, I, I promised my granddad that I'd do it. You know, he said, look, be an engineer, then you can do whatever you want. So I did. And so um, it was one of those weird things. My school didn't have A-levels. So I, you had a choice of either going out and doing uh, further education at A-levels at a college around the corner or you went into um, what were called basically graduate apprenticeships back then. And if you think about it now, this is like, you know, you tell the young people what, what this is all about. And it's, it's, a holy, it's a holy grail of jobs. So they employ you. They don't pay you much, but they pay, pay you a wage. But then they then train you to whatever, and then they send you to college and university. I mean, the course is tailored to the requirements in Derby anyway to either British Rail or Rolls-Royce, which were the two big engineering companies there. So the, there was a lot of, you know, specific engineering, which for the, for the business. So they, um, what did I do? I did an MNC, HMD, and then a degree, and came out when I was 21. But I got in at 16. So for five years, I'd, uh, you know, I'd fulfill my granddad's promise. <laughs> But I knew I didn't want to be it. I didn't want yeah. to be an engineer. And it's, a great, it's a great sort of background, you know, things to, to sort of, you know, deal with everyday life. But it wasn't, you know, the calling that I really wanted. And I went and approached a friend of my father's who was a photographer, who was a professional photographer in Nottingham. And I said, look, 
A, I, I wasn't earning a great deal of money. You know, I was earning enough money to sort of pay to get into work and feed me. And that's about it. A night out on a Saturday was just, you know, a dream. So I said, how about me coming to work for you on, say, Saturdays or whatever nights? And I will work part-time, you know, doing whatever. I'd go for this, i go for that. And I did. And I started. And at the time, I was just sort of rolling up films into cassettes and passing them over, you know, for the next shots. Uh, but eventually, after about a year, I was taking photographs. And after two years, I was doing weddings. Oh, you were actually doing the photography? Yeah. Yeah. So I became a photographer. Oh. And this was all tight the while. One was doing, you know, my engineering course. So it was it was hard, but I also, you know, I, I had great times, yeah. great, great fun. So you had, you know, weddings. If you can talk in a in a crowd of people at a wedding, <laughs> especially towards the after the ceremony, where everyone was getting hammered on the champagne, <laughs> you can deal with pretty much everybody. Yes, <laughs> yeah, because I, I, I mean, when you're at, when you're at weddings and everything, everybody's like, bloody hell, that photographer's stroppy. <laughs> yeah, there's, please. A, there's a reason. <laughs> Family. Yeah, he's herding kittens. That's yeah. basically what he's doing. Yeah. So, can you pull Granny away from the buffet? It's not open yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. So that's how I started, and then uh, there was a friend, a mutual friend of the railway who said, look, I've got a mate of mine who wants to get married. Do you fancy doing his wedding? I went, yeah, fine, no worries. So I went down to his house. He lived in He was, I think I'd be about 19, 20 when I met him, and he would be about 22. And I rocked up, and he had a fantastic house. He had a fantastic car. I'm thinking, Christ, he's done well for himself. What's he? You know, I asked him what he did. He says, oh, well, yeah, I do, uh, I'm a pitch fan. This was in Derby. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting. And I could, and I thought initially that I would do photography and framing because they are, you know, parallel businesses, mm. if you like. You can run one or another. Yeah. There's lots of photographers who, who do framing. And I spoke to my dad. My dad at this point, my mum and dad lived in, in around where I was, was working until I was 18. And then they moved up to North Yorkshire. And so I said to my dad, look, I've got an idea for a business. What do you think, you know? And he ran it through. I mean, he sort of, you know, looked at it. And I said, he said, yeah, it's not going to cost too much, is it? So, do you fancy having a go? And I went, yeah. So, at 21, when I finished at the railway, I opened up. I had to be, that's right, I had to be unemployed for 10 weeks. Because back then, Maggie Thatcher was doing this manpower services grant, which what it was, you, you, you earned 40 quid a week from the government for your first year of business. So, I opened up the shop. The 40 quid a week was the only thing. Here in Ripon? Yeah. In 86, the only thing I spent at that time was 40 quid. I mean, I had a bike, I didn't have a car, so I biked home. And then on an evening, I'd come and make the frames. It was quite busy in the shop, but you can't really get going. Mm. So I made the frames off an evening until about 10 o'clock and then biked home and repeat, repeat, repeat. And then after a year, I plowed all that money that we'd made into back into the business. And I did that for, for a couple of years. And it grew, you know, really, really quickly. But, yeah, you can do it when you're 21. It's easy. Mm. No commitments in terms of, you know, wives and kids. And did you have anybody teach you to do the frame? Or did you, was it just because you've got this sort of engineering background and you were just like, oh... He taught, I, I, I shadowed the guy who did the framing for a day. Right. He says, this is what you do, this is what you do, this is what you do. Right, okay, let me do it. Off you go. And off I went. It's not, you know, at the end of the day, picture framing isn't hard. It's not, it's not a, a trade which is, 
there are elements to it which are very, very skillful and take a long time to, to learn. Mm. So wash line mount decoration, gilding frames, gold leafing and stuff like that is a very you know, specific job. And to be fair, is a craft all in itself. Part of the, you know, the opus of, of picture framing in general, you can, you can dip in and out of. But picture framing itself isn't terribly hard to do. The hardest thing about framing, and it's something you just can't teach, and I have taught a lot of framers to frame, is what frame goes with what. Yes, and trying to persuade the artist who comes in. <laughs> trying to persuade an artist, they're the, they're the killers. <coughs> that it's not about price. Yeah, well, yes. yes. It's not about price. Because if you put something that's 20 quid on a painting, you know, your painting looks like 20 quid, or maybe 25. Mm. If you put something expensive onto a piece that elevates the painting up, and then somebody says, actually, I can see why that painting's worth a thousand quid. They can't if it looks like you've bought it in Ikea. No. And that's the big thing. That's a, that, that's a hurdle which most a lot of framers have to give to get artists over. Mm. You know, and it's a, it's, a, it's a leap of faith for, for, for an artist to do that. Mm. I have to say, it's, you know, working with, with a lot of artists, and I do, I've done, quite a, I've done some Q&As with you, and I do Q&As about framing, yeah. and, and people kind of ask the questions. And, you know, there's, there are, I think there aren't very many framers like you who you can come in and you can say, I've got this piece, what do you think? Because a lot of them will go, what do you want? Yeah. You know, and then they'll go, oh, well, you know, just, oh, put a, you know, a mount on it and, oh, let's have that frame. And they'll go, oh, right. Or, or they'll go, oh, well, we'll pick a colour from in the... <laughs> well, that's the other side of their coin. You, you end up with framers who, you, you've got the ones who haven't a clue, right? They're, they used to be... They come into framing late in life because it's a business which they can probably do after they've retired. So they've done 30 odd years. Thank you. You're such a for this. They've done a trade of something for 30 odd years and retired and then they bought a little framing business, you know, because the frame is retired. So they've taken it on. And they haven't an absolute scooby-doo as to what goes with what because, you know, there's a brown frame, there's a gold frame, there's a silver frame black frame, white frame, pretty much the, you know, the range of product that they, they sell. 30 mouldings on a board. Well, what do you want? You know, show, show you the mouldings, that's it. Mm. Oh, what you, you know, you need a mount on that. There's a little bit of green to pick out the green in the picture or whatever. But that's why you end up with horrible looking pictures. <laughs> you do. <laughs> to put it bluntly. <laughs> bluntly, you do. And yeah. you're going, what the hell's that? Now, what have the, what's the frame done on there? What's the artist doing? You know, listening to a frame yeah. who's doing that sort yeah. of thing, but generally it's a price thing. Mm. You know, yeah, it's 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 not that bad. Get it on the wall, better than blue tack, and it was only forty quid. Mm. And you're going, no, <laughs> you'd be better off sticking to blue tack, and you haven't spent your forty quid, and it still look better. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the other side of that coin is, and I've seen it all the time on you know framers with Instagram posts and stuff like this, and it's the it's the OTT framer. Right, which is fine if you've got an art, a piece of artwork which requires that sort of thing. But you've got, you know, I've taken in some stuff whereby it's it's a really nice painting, it's a really nice piece of work, blah, blah, blah. And some framer has put on, you know, essentially a frame that requires planning permission. <laughs> you know, 
and it might be all the colours under the sun. Now, I know you've got, you get quite a lot of Americans in there, um, and they, they do this with mounting, or matting, as they say. So triple and quadruple matting, to get each individual colour of a piece of work in the board that surrounds it. Why? You don't have to extend the artwork out. Mm. What you do is you have to present that in a very tasteful way. By all means, pull out a colour, but do it subtly, mm. lower the watercolour wash line, which is much more finer and much more tasteful, shall yeah. we say. Yeah. And there's a bit of a difference. If you've got sort of like, you know, I admit, if you've got something like an American football shirt or a hockey shirt or something like that, and it's emblazoned with all the colours in the rainbow, you know, sponsors and stuff like that, then fine, go for it. Yeah. And it'll look great in a sports bar or, a, you know, somebody's gym yeah. at home. And it's just like, Oof. But if you're talking about a piece of work which is going into someone's living room or, you know, lounge or you know, dining room or whatever, it's a more subtle going on. Mm. So it's a more subtle approach. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, when you redecorate your room, you don't go to the tin of paint and just slosh, a, you know, a bit of orange around the room to pull out the orange that's in the sofa. <laughs> but that's essentially the sort of, yeah. thing that the framer has done with with that work yeah yes it's it's um it is it's a it's a well sometimes it's not even a fine line is it no it's a complete blunt instrument mm. <laughs> <laughs> and and so i'm guessing it's just been a case of learning um and you were saying before that you were you you're you know quite creative anyway so. yeah well so what you do is you, you it's the frame is an interface between the artwork and where it's living mm. So it's no good being sort of completely incongruous to both. You have to have a subtle blend for the whole thing to work. You know, you are, have to be mindful of someone's interior. Mm. So as such, my, the, the education that you sort of give yourself is one of, you know, you look in the fine arts books and then you see how frames have made, been made over the period of time and the, you know, the, the styles and the, then the styles of where they're living. And it includes all the way through. You know, it's not just... The, the, obviously, the, the most popular ones are, are probably the 17th, 18th, 19th century drawing rooms. And you look at the big frames and you look at the paintings and you look at the furniture and all the rest of it and you're going, yeah, that really, really works well. But then it extends it through. So you've still got interior designers now producing really funky stuff. So as a consequence, to keep up with trends, you know, if you've got something really, really funky in a funky environment, then you can go funky mm. on the frame. You know, let's go. Let's all go disco. <laughs> and so, as a consequence, you, we've got fluorescent mouldings over there. We've got multicolored frames and stuff like that. It's not for everything. It's mm. not. You know, you don't bring that big stick out every day. But there are elements that you can use sub, more subtly within that, just to give a highlight and just a, a, a ping. You know, to to zap up an artwork. Yeah. And so that's the, that's the name of the game. But most of the time, you, you're trying to make sure that the piece that you're framing is front and centre. You want the frame to be a complement rather than a competitor. Yeah. Competitor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And have you... Well, I know that you have framed some quite seriously expensive pieces of art. Yeah. Um, and I know that you've... I mean, you've got some absolutely colossal pieces... <laughs> I don't know whether they're still <laughs> yeah. there. That you're, they are still I mean, there. They're, they're gigantic. But but let's do a bit of name dropping. Have you have you framed some? I framed it. Uh, I framed some Turners, which are pretty rare in in private hands. Um, I framed Hockneys. I framed I framed quite a few sort of you know the modern art pieces where people have uh, the sort of name game now. There's um, so Banksy's. 
a friend, Damien Hurst, Tracy Emmons. What was the other guy? There's a guy, um, Herring. So Steve Herring is it? The uh, New York artist. Warhols. I've, I've quite, I found quite a few original Warhols. It's one collector. Blimey. Yeah. Have you got to take out huge insurance? <laughs> no, what happens, tends to happen with I don't want them on You the just shove them in the drawer, don't you? I think I just shove them in the drawer. Just something to stop the tea marks getting on the, on the tabletops. <laughs> don't, don't, don't joke about that. <laughs> no, we, we end up sort of saying to somebody who's got something which is worth north of a million quid, which has happened quite a lot, you go, right, okay. So I then go to their house, right, which is fully insured. We then mark and, and point out where we're going to frame it, you know, bring the samples to the, the basically the mountain goes to Mohammed. Right. So you end up with this thing at, at the end of the day, it's all safe and sound in their house. And then we then make the stuff and then take it to them, frame it there. Ah, oh, right. So you don't bring it in here. I don't bring it in here. No. Not unless it's absolutely necessary. Yeah. The turner we did, the, the guy brought it in and, you know, but we're in a position, I suppose. You know, if we lob it in one of our drawers, the average burglar isn't going to be interested unless he knows exactly what he's doing. Well, yes, to, exactly. To spot a difference between a Turner and one of those paintings over a, there, which is... And a Bonnie Snowden. Know, or a Bonnie Snowden, <laughs> correct. <laughs> I, think you can, I think you can quite easily spot the difference. I think he specialise in animals. So. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, no, that, I mean, that's, that's, that must be quite a thing to do, though. To have to have something that, but not even that valuable. To have something that historic and and oh, it's amazing. You know, yeah, it's amazing. We did some Raoul Dufy's. So Raoul Dufy, either is a French sort of um, yeah, postmodernist in uh, you know uh, impressionist kind of artist, and he had a studio in Paris, and he had a studio in the south of France, and the painting we did was done in the south of France. And it was in 1944. In 1944, the Vichy French down in the south of France were still ruling the roost with Nazi backing. And the Paris place, you know, would still be listening to the jackboots of the Nazi troops going past the tour whilst he was painting this. You know, you, it's astonishing, really. Yeah. And it's, obviously it's kicking off in Ukraine now. So probably we're artists trying to forge a, you know, a historic recording of events that are going on there but yeah. this doofy was just painting on this particular piece it was a picture of the sea and the, and the, and the palm trees but yeah front done down in south france in 1944 Gosh. so yeah there is that momentous type of stuff we've said we framed some picasso drawings um line drawings mm. which were really really nice and they were but they were done later so they were done in the 60s we were nearly died down in 73, didn't he? Something like that. But he used to do it. He was prolific. Was yeah. That guy. But the, this guy would have brought these, paint, um, these sketches. And, yeah, I wanted them framed very, very nicely. You don't have to try too hard. With, and, and something like this is actually, this is quite a, a good example. When you have something like a line drawing, where it's simply just a piece of paper. And in the case of these two Picassos, they were quite, you know, cubist in their thing. I think it was... You know, I think it was a goat. <laughs> or half man, half goat. But very, very simple. Yeah. There was no decoration on it at all. It was just one single line. He had the ability to sort of do a drawing which without taking the paper yeah. off, pen off the paper. Yeah. 
Amazing. And it was almost like that. Yeah. So, yeah, we did that. And we he this guy wanted it to look like he'd spent the money. And he had spent the money. You know, God knows how much there were. There were hundreds of thousands in terms of what he bought. Mm. But, yeah, when we bid those, say so he wanted them really looking nice. But, again, simple. Yeah. So it was, it was a very large, in terms of glass size and mount size piece. So it covered quite a bit of the wall even though the drawing was only about A3. Right. Um, he probably ended up with sort of a three by two frame. But the frame was gold leaf. You know, he wanted a hand-gilded, water-gilded gold leaf frame in a very simple moulding. Mm. But you've got gold leaf and it zings out on, on the thing. And, you know, we did black bowl underneath, which highlighted the fact that it was a black drawing. And it looked every inch of the money that he was purporting to yeah. be. Yeah. No, it is. I mean, framing is just so. I, I used to work in a gallery in, in Harrogate and um, some little like sketches, you know, little, literally about an inch, yeah. you know, and they and they and they actually look spectacular. And you'd spend about a thousand on this little, little yeah. inch thing. And then the frame was about two foot across. Yeah. You know, but, but like, like almost <laughs> like multiple mold. Yeah. You know, and it just kind of grew out. And, I mean, I think they look amazing. They are interior design pieces at the end of the day. Yeah. So, but you've got a sketch, which is, it's the same sort of principle. You know, you end up with a small sketch. You then oversize the mount, oversize the frame. Not in terms of its width, mm. but the glass area. So that it covers a large area on the wall. But it, it then looks for money. For a gallery, it's very important to do that. Yeah. So you're charging three grand for a piece. Well, if it's a postage stamp drawing and it's got a two-inch mount and a, and a tiny, it's going to look like a, a, a beer mat, isn't it? It's it like is. a coaster. Yeah. And you're going to go, it's three grand. And you go, really? Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> you all of a sudden stick a big frame on it and yeah, you go, and it's three like, grand. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, three grand. I can see why it's three grand. Yeah, gosh, isn't it funny? It is. It's smoke and mirrors a bit. Yeah. A little bit theatrical. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh, I don't know. I don't know, and I guess you. I guess you get quite a lot of sort of characters and artists, and also. Well, I guess you get a, a whole raft of different people. You'll get, yeah, you know, you, you do get. The, well, you get the the civilians, as we call them. <laughs> you know, the normal person who comes in and he wants or she wants a a painting framed and or a picture framed mm. or a photo, whatever it is, and you go great, and they they need the most help, but they're the most open. So a lot of them say, I don't know what I'm doing. And you go, that's all, that's fine. You know, I just lay out the, the, op the options. And I go, you know, A, B, C, D or E, whatever. And the range of prices. And you, you kind of say, you know, obviously as a, as a businessman, you want to steer them to the more expensive stuff. But the reason why you want to steer them to the more expensive stuff is they, they want to go out and put it on the wall and they go, you know what, that looks the business. Yeah. And then what happens is if you've done it really, really well, they, you see them again about two weeks later. And I, they'll, they'll put it on the wall and go, what you framed the other day is just amazing. The problem is it makes all the other pictures look crap. <laughs> yeah. So then they come in with all the other pictures. <laughs> Ka-ching. Job done, mission accomplished. <laughs> but, you, yeah. you know, you are sort of being genuine yes. in as much as you're trying to get the best out of the work. Yeah. But you are running a business at the end of the day. Yeah. And, and you know, that's... It's a funny thing that 
people don't tend to celebrate people's successes and then as soon as they realize that you're successful in business they don't they're not kind of they don't think it's a very good thing particularly in the art world it's all tree syndrome weird yeah yeah it is actually they they quite like to see the starving artist as so sort it's some sort of you know more bona fide yeah than a successful artist yeah and you're going, why? What's all that about? You know, but it's a classic thing. It's the shambling artist with the, you know, the woodbine hanging out the mouth, and in the artist's garret with no heating and you know mixing paint and being just completely subsumed in their work. Mm. Well, they've still got to eat, mm. you know. And it is quite nice when you get somebody like a, a Damien Hurst who's worth about three hundred million to actually be a success. Yes. And I, you know, that's the problem with a lot of people. They can't. It's 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 very weird. I don't understand it. I always think it's a celebration of a person who's put a bit of graft in, or their skill, or whatever, and they've gone and been a success. And you and I just don't understand people who don't appreciate that. Yeah. In a way, it's almost like, well, what do you do? Well, I'm a train driver. Great. Are you worth seventy grand as a train driver? Well, yeah. Well, why isn't the artist who's painting the same thing worth 70 grand as well? Why yeah. do you want them to be worth 20? It's, it's really strange, isn't it? Yeah. And, and I think that kind of comes into, you know, even like with pricing art and stuff like that. And, it, and it's really strange because I obviously started out with something like 40 quid for a portrait. Mm. You know, and people, even at that price, were like, oh, I can get, you know, Dave Smith down the road to do it for 20 or I can get, oh, my mate will do it for free. Yeah. Um, and, and actually, I saw a massive shift when we went higher and I started charging more for the pieces. Yeah. And actually, people really start to then value what exactly. you're doing. It's perceived value. Yeah. It's that the work's not changed. The, ch- the fact that you're charging 500 quid now as opposed to 40. Yeah. All well, of a sudden. Eight, 800. 800 quid. <laughs> my God, my prices are going up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, it's perceived value. You know, yeah. you're going to cherish something if you've paid 800 quid for it. Yeah. As opposed to 40. It's going to be, ooh, you know. And the whole thing shifts. The whole ethos then shifts. It really does. Because if you've paid 800 pounds for a, for a piece of work and you're going to get that framed, the 25 quid frame is not... No. Is not a, it's a non-starter. Yeah. It's like, get that rubbish out of my sight. Yeah. I'm not putting that up, mate. Yeah. It's an elevation. Do you remember when we, when we um, I think it was my biggest, the biggest piece and the best piece I'd done yet, um, it was back in 2018 and it was the three dogs yep. that I'd done. And, you know, I'd, and I charged, I had charged quite a lot for it at, at, at that point, but the frame and the glass was about three times the amount the portrait had cost. <laughs> but it looked amazing. Yeah, because it, it's the end product. Yeah. There's the artists have to think. Professional artists and amateur artists have to think of the end product. Mm. So it's a bit like, if you go back to engineering, I've built this engine. And you're going, great, sit the engine in a workshop, let's hear it. What's it going to do now? You've still got to design a nice car around it. It's still got to look good. It's still got to carry four people and a dog to get the shopping. (laughs) You know, you can't just rest on your laurels and say, I've made that engine into the masterpiece. Yeah. You have to have the accompaniment to do the rest of the job. And the and a, and a person, the end punter, is not interested in just buying the engine. He's just he wanting the full package. Yes. And so and that's where the artist has to realise that they are part of the full package. It's not the be all and end all. Mm. There is the other junior partner by 
you know, by admission, is the framer. But the framer is the guy who puts that work into someone's living room and also adds perceived value. Because if I'm charging three, four hundred quid for a frame and that end product then goes up to twelve hundred pounds and the artist should be sticking some money on for, you know, whatever, the whole thing is, wow, look at that. Yeah. Your product is elevated along with your name, your reputation, mm-hmm. and also the selling price at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it, you know, and I, I think I do think more and more people are kind of cottoning onto the fact that this is is really important. The other thing that I find really fascinating in the framing side of things is the glass, because. I mean, I never knew there was anything like non-reflective glass or UV glass or, you know, anything like that. And now every time I have a piece framed, we we tend to use that, you know, museum quality glass. The and music, it is yeah. expensive. It's, it is expensive, but it's, it's not as expensive as it once was. So when I first came across this, I, I framed for a guy called um, John Blakey. Oh, it? yes, I've got one of his pieces in, in my living room. Yeah, so John Blakey, uh, he was frame, He was painting portraiture and, you know, crispy old men was basically what he, his speciality was, or very pretty girls. That was the two sort of things he did. He put, uh, he put four pieces in Langham Brasserie in London, in, um, in Piccadilly, which we framed. And we, the framing was very nice, so gold leaf frames. And the owner of the places, well, it was jointly owned by, between a guy called Richard Shepherd, who was a chef de Petron, and then Michael Kane was a silent partner. <laughs> so I had lunch with a pair of them, along with John Blakey. It was sort of like a meeting, we had a great time. And if I recall, Steve Cram was there. <laughs> The runner. Are you sure this wasn't a yeah, dream? No, honestly, it was a very, very... I had this dream. Yeah, I know, he joined, he joined us. Steve Cram and his agent were, were there as well. And he's like, well, well oh, fair enough. Well, everything. Anyway, we got chatted away and uh, it was it was Richard Shepard. And he says, oh, yeah, we want that real, really tricky glass. At that time, I didn't know what it was. I had to do an investigation as to what the glass was. I was hor- horrified as to how much it cost. There was one importer bringing this in from Switzerland. And... It, it came in in its own, you, you, you gave him an order of the size. You didn't get a sheet of it. You go, right, well, I want something which is 450 millimetres by 600 millimetres. And it would come in in its own packing case with polystyrene, you know, in a wooden box. The packing case alone is, you know, 100 quid. This thing was like, Jesus, it's one piece of glass and it's 400 pounds. What's going on? <laughs> and it was, it was, I did, I ordered this, Four pieces of glass, and it was over two thousand pounds for the pieces of glass. Now those pieces of glass, now it's the same stuff. It's just lots more people are using it. Production's yeah. gone into other areas. There was just the Swiss factory were making it, and then it's gone into other areas, and so the costs have come down ridiculously cheap. Yeah, it's still expensive compared yes, to normal but, glass. Yeah. But it isn't, you know, four hundred and fifty pounds for no. a sheet of. But it small. makes such a difference. It's a huge difference, and it's and it's very different. So the, the one we use is the art is the art glass, mm. isn't it? You've got it on uh, that. And boxes, there were because I know some people are saying to me, "Oh no, my framer won't use that because you can't actually see through it." But that's a very different type of glass, isn't it? That's not non-reflective. You're talking of the old non-reflective, which was yeah. in from the sixties and the fifties, which is diffused, so it's yes. stippled. And you end up with a, 
it's, it works like a shower screen. So you, if you pull your hand away from a shower screen, you can't see the image. Mm. If you press the, uh, your hand up against the shower screen, you can then see your finger, you know, and the fingerprints. The problem is the diffusion works the same. That light diffusion, it scatters the light. It also scatters the image. So it has the effect of, of looking like everything's covered in tracing paper. Yeah. It's, hot, it's awful stuff. But that is the old non-reflective. Right. That is not, the product we've got now is anti-reflective. So it's got an optical coating, which is clear, which does the same sort of job, but at, I mean, this is obviously a technical thing, but it, it scatters light, but only with, through the optical coating. So it's not a physical scattering of light. So you end up with 1% reflectivity. Yeah. Normal glass is something like 12, 15%. So you can see, you know, mm. the mirror is 100%. Yeah. So you end up with this sort of like strange stuff. I mean, we have it on the bench and there are times when you can't actually see it yeah. on the bench. Yeah. I Honestly, I've had, <coughs> well, I have all my pieces done with that when, when I can. You know, I've kind of, when I bring them home, I sit them up on a thing and the, the children will be like, you know, I had glass put in that one then. <laughs> <laughs> How's that work then? And I'm like, no, it's glass in there. Look, look, look. <laughs> and we if, all get very giddy. If they extend it to the construction industry and they start making patio doors in it. Oh my God. We're all there's going to be a lot of bent faces. Because <laughs> 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 so many people who will just walk just straight into it. I know. Dead birds on the outside. Oh of them. God. <laughs> but if, I mean, it does make such a massive difference. It's um, huge. You know, because... If you, because I've got pieces in my living room that are non-reflective and just normal glass, mm. and the ones with normal glass in half the time you can't even see what's what's in the, yeah. you know, what you've got up on your wall, you know. So I always try to encourage people to use that because it is, and and also you have the UV thing. You've as got well. the UV element to it, so even the cheaper stuff has got a seventy percent UV proofing. Mm. The uh, there is ninety nine proof uh, UV on the good stuff. Yeah. Which is extraordinary, and if you but if you've got colours, if you've certainly watercolours or pastels, they are so light sensitive. Mm. You know, some of the colours in there, the greens, the reds. Well, the, the colour, the colour pencil, and this is why a lot of galleries won't have colour pencil. Have cut has come a huge, hugely long way, mm. and they've done a, a massive amount of research and brought out very, very light, fast colours. But you get the fugitive colours, you know, like the sort of the very pale lilac-y and yeah. pinks and and stuff. But um, and that that's one of the reasons why I think a lot of galleries won't take coloured pencil work because they think of it as being substandard. You know, and I'd hope that it's kind of shifting a little bit. You know, the light fastness for me, having a glass in front of my work that is going to help with the light yeah. fastness is, you know... Well, it's brilliant stuff. Yeah. But the, the other thing about uh, art glass, talking about this, this product, I mean, other products are available. Mm. But if you look at normal glass and take, take a few sheets and then look down the end of them, the, the sort of the edge, it's, you'll see a green colour. So what you end up with, that green is actually an iron impurity within the glass. So what happens to art glass is they take the iron out of that. So you look down the sheets of art glass and it's white. You can't, you know, it's clear. There's no green. And that green is, uh, it does alter colours. You know, if you, it, it does alter the colours of things. So you, mm. part of the thing with art glass is, is it's a clear image pure image thing, right. like you haven't got any other thing in front of it. Yeah. Both with its non-reflective quality and also its colour reducing. 
So it's quite good. Yeah, no, it is. I I think it's um I think it's amazing. Yeah, I, I mean I I try to have it in all my pieces. Mm. It does make such a massive difference. Well, I've got I've got a question actually. What time? What time are we on? I've got a question that I've been asking everybody, and it would be quite interesting actually to hear what you have to say because you are quite a confident person. <laughs> so, when it comes to confidence, what's your number one tip? Of confidence. Yeah. I should have asked you this before, shouldn't yeah, I? Yeah, you should have. Put you on um, the spot. <laughs> well, you excel your, your confidence, I think, comes from you knowing your brief. You know, if, you, if, you're, if you're sure and you're positive of what you believe in, you know, backed up by years of experience and, and sound fact, then you can extend your personality out and, in terms of, you know, coming out with facts. And now, so that, that's a confidence-giving thing. And then you, you have to have the confidence to actually say that, which is, is not easy. In terms of confidence as an, a, a sort of, um, as an expression, that's almost a learned art. I've, I did some public speaking. I was chairman of a charitable group. And I ended up sort of giving, oh, I don't know, probably a dozen, maybe 20 speeches in a year. And public speaking does not come naturally to me. I'm all right one-on-one, you know, and I have the confidence to do that. And, and this is weird because you get other people who are sitting in front of a lectern in, in a theatre or a, you know, a sort of a concert hall, and they have the confidence to push their personality through. With me, it's a bit different. I've got the personal, I've got my confidence comes from talking to anybody, one-on-one, or a group of people, small enough. If you extend that to sort of 40, 50 people, I'm like, hoo, 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 hoo. <laughs> I get a bit more nervous. <clears throat> but eventually, the confidence of a public speaking, of doing them sort of, you know, virtually every month, um, gave me uh, sort of the skills to, to do it and, and, and not sort of choke, because you can do. But confidence in terms of your own skills and ability you need to have in it's a validation isn't it you end up getting confidence because somebody comes along and pats you on the back or in terms of artistic work they're going to spend 800 quid on a piece rather than 40 quid on a piece yeah that's got to be a confidence giver yeah you know? so having a bit a bit of that sort of self-affirmation and actually people you know saying oh you're doing a great job that that helps to build the confidence yeah and the mindset as well and the mindset, yeah, you do. You need that, that mindset of, of, of being sure of yourself. Yeah. You know, don't have any doubts. No. That's actually quite a big thing, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, because if, you know, if you, so I, I saw you before when you were with a customer and he was like, oh, so how much? You know, and you were straight away, well, it's going to be this. And yeah. I was like, I, yeah, but I don't know, care. No. I'm so, this is the thing. I'm so busy. Yeah. With doing what I'm doing. If he doesn't bring it in, I'm not bothered. No. But I'm not, you know, just because he doesn't like the price. And this mm. is the other thing. He doesn't like the price. Well, who does? Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's going to cost you X. Well, yeah. I prefer it to be Y. Tough. It's X. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you want to do it or don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. And the, the quality that they're going to get from here anyway. Yeah. Is, exactly. Yeah. Well, this is it. You need yeah. to have the quality to back it up. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, I, I know I produce a bloody good product. Yes. It's, it's a fantastic, the things I'm doing, the, the creativity that I've, you know, I give to, to the work, the experience, mm. you know, 30, what is it now? 36 years I've been framing. Since you were, since you were seven. Since I was seven. So <laughs> five, I think, to be fair. Oh dear. 
Yeah, no, I, I, you know, and the confidence thing is is massive. And if you don't have confidence in yourself and your own your own abilities and your work, then it becomes very very difficult to then kind of exude. What well, no else is going to do it? Is it? If you haven't got the confidence in yourself and your abilities, who else is going to do it? Yeah. You know, you buy into confidence. And it's part of that thing. It's a, it's, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So you, somebody buys into your confidence and that gives you more confidence. The, the end result is you end up with a complete egotistical maniac. <laughs> Plenty of those in politics. <laughs> you, end, you do. You end up with sort of like Richard Branson. Our, you know, how confident is he? Yeah. You know, and it's self-promoting and stuff like that. But the, but when you're confident, people believe in you. Mm. You know, I mean, I, I, I keep I keep saying to people, you know, oh gosh, am I am I ready to do commissions and stuff yet? And I'll say, you're always ready to do commissions. It's just about your self belief and your confidence. You can be an absolutely incredible artist, mm. have no confidence, and not be able to sell a thing. Mm. You can I be, know a few. You, but you can be a very mediocre artist, have st- huge amounts of confidence and self belief, and be incredibly. I know a few of those as well. <laughs> successful. Yeah, you know, and it's just about, and it comes out in everything. It comes out on social media. It comes, you know, it's not just a face to face thing. Your confidence comes out in the words that you use. All of the time mm. you know so for, for me the confidence side of things and helping people build the confidence is is incredibly important but um yeah i, I mean you you know you've always come across as very as very confident <laughs> <laughs> well i yes I, I haven't always been you know and over life you you get knocks and you yeah. get sort of things that happen in your yeah. your personal life and yeah. it sort of not sets you back yeah but in terms of uh, of people who are coming in and and wanting you know, your framing services, or, or it extends to, because I don't just do that. We have our consultancy, which is basically somebody comes in and says, I need a painting for this, and we'll find the painting. Mm. Or, you know, I, I hang paintings. So people have a collection of artwork, and they might have moved house. So it's where it's best to put those things in. What do we do with this? We, well, we remount that. You know, mm. We take it away, we remount it, we reframe it. I've got a bag of stuff over there, which exactly that I saw the client last night you know she's just said I need my house to look like uh, a show home I want it to look like it's from homes and gardens I said right well you need to put that 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 in the bin (laughs) (laughs) right because it's rubbish right and she went oh right okay Um, you know but you've got to tell them yeah you have to have the confidence to be able to tell them yeah because at the end of the day you know I'm charging 100 quid an hour for that service and what's the point of and blowing fluff up them to say, oh yeah, it's, that picture's great. One, it then no. needs to go in the, yeah. It's rubbish. Put it in the bin, burn it. It's horrible. You know, because <laughs> you bought it from IKEA for 25 quid when you're a student. Yeah. You know, oh, I've got sentimental value. Sentimental value, my, you know, <laughs> it's rubbish. It's always been rubbish. <laughs> But then you have the charm to go along with it, and they're like, they're well, laughing along with you. you exactly. And then when you walk out, they're like, what the hell happened there? All my I've been torn to shreds. <laughs> but, you, but you're saying it as a, you, somebody's asked your opinion. Yeah. You know, someone's yeah. wanting that. So I'm not going to go in and say, yeah, everything's rosy in your you know, interior's garden. You've been paying me the money to actually tell you. And there's an interior designer I work for, and she's even more brutal than I am. <laughs> What can I do to make this look good? Got petrol and a match? <laughs> so, honestly, she was like the most brutal things to them. And, and at the end of the day, she had, 
she'll create something which is amazing. Yeah. And they'll then sit down and go, wow. But it takes a bit of time to get across. Yeah. She's, you know, every inch as confident as I am. Yeah. Brilliant. But it's, uh, it's how you put it. It is. You don't leave them crying on the floor. <laughs> you do a subtle way. Yeah. Where do I start? Well, I wouldn't start for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Well, on that point, <laughs> before we get into any more and you have me lying on the floor crying, um, thank you very much for Thanks, chatting Bonnie. to me. It's yeah. been very nice. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> I really hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of my It's a Bonnie Old Life podcast. If you did, I'd be so grateful to you for emailing me or texting a link to the show or sharing it on social media with those you know who might like it too. My mission with this podcast is all about sharing mine and my community's experience and hope by telling your fascinating personal stories, championing the other amazing humans in my personal, professional and membership community and to create another channel through which I can support you to realise your coloured pencil and life dreams. If you haven't done so yet, please help me on my mission to spread positivity and joy throughout the coloured pencil world by following me on my socials at Bonnie Snowden Academy or by getting on my list at bonniesnowdenacademy.com. And remember, I truly believe if I can live the life of my dreams doing what I love, then you can too. We just need to keep championing and supporting each other along the way in order to make it happen. Till next time. <laughs>